Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Prayer and fasting. The leaders of two popular Catholic groups discuss the different ways that men and women can sacrifice this Lent. Pushing for broad access to chemical abortions. The moves New Mexico's governor is making to expand availability of mifepristone and how one state representative is countering those moves by supporting bills that give women options for life. A life transformed from living on the streets to a house full of love. I've gotten uh, my life, my foundation on my life pretty good from being here. We meet a young mom and her daughter who are rewriting the narrative of their lives thanks to support from St. Clair's Maternity Home. This Wednesday, Catholics celebrated Ash Wednesday to officially begin the season of Lent. The 40-day spiritual journey allows us to prepare for the Lord's resurrection at Easter through the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. It's a time of personal, continual conversion of heart and building a deeper relationship with our Lord. And for each Christian, the journey looks different. There are many guides for this season, including books, podcasts, many available at EWTN.com. And here on Pro-Life Weekly, we're looking at two organizations that offer robust courses and spiritual exercises that are specifically tailored to the lives of men or the lives of women. We begin with Jamie Baxter, founder and CEO of a very popular Catholic program, Exodus 90. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Exodus 90, it's designed for men, and it's really an opportunity for men to get in touch with their roots, to, to dive into scripture and prayer and free themselves from worldly distractions, to focus more on our Lord. How during Lent, Jamie in particular, can men do this and use Exodus 90 as a resource? Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, everything at Exodus uh, really is about growing in personal freedom. Uh, I think every man, uh, when he looks at his life, knows that there's areas in which he could be more free. Um, he has idols, pharaohs that keep him from, from love. Mm. And so all of our work, including our Lenten spiritual exercise, Lent with Exodus, is about growing in the practice of prayer, uh, taking on acts of asceticism or simple actions of self-denial and growing in community, building a small group of other men, four to six guys who uh, take the journey with you. So uh, this Lent, we're going to be journeying through uh, the book of Joshua, and then we'll, we'll culminate in the gospel of Matthew, uh, in which we kind of show how Jesus accomplishes um, the, the story of the Exodus uh, and fulfills it in his person. And we'll also take on a, a healthy, a healthy dose, a, you know, a challenging plan of life this Lent that allows us to enter into the desert with our Lord, yeah. uh, to stay focused on the things that matter. Uh, and yeah, we'll grow in community with other guys like us uh, looking to grow in freedom as well. That's inspiring. And, and speaking of that challenge, that plan for a challenge for your life, what particular sacrifices do you think men can focus on during Lent? And I'm curious, how are men's journeys, from your perspective, typically different from their female counterparts when it comes to sacrificing during Lent? Yeah, there's obviously so much in common that we share, you know, as men and women. Um, so I think the practice of prayer this Lent is the most important. And within our journey, uh, we encourage guys to take on an hour uh, of prayer mm. and we kind of help guide them into uh, building up that muscle 
and beginning deep contemplative conversations with our Lord. You know, our Lord is among the living, and he speaks, he moves, and he inspires. Uh, we just have to, to silence ourselves in so many ways, and, and the ascetic practices that we take on as well help to do that. So mm. all of our spiritual exercises uh, revolve around kind of reframing our relationship with technology, not necessarily throwing it to the wind, but kind of returning it to its proper domain as mm. a tool, you know, subject to us as masters and not the other way around, which is, you know, obviously most often the case. Sure. Um, and then also, you know, taking on, you know, disciplines as it relates to to fasting uh, as well, in addition to really, re, you know, kind of uh, in this, this season of almsgiving, uh, really examining how we spend money and what, you know, trying to refrain from unnecessary purchases and donating the, those savings to the poor. Mm. So those are a couple of places that we're focused on and you can learn more about that uh, on the Exodus 90 app and, and kind of our Lenten journey. But as it relates to the question on the distinction and difference, mm -hmm. you know, I think for men in particular, it's just very important to take on voluntary sufferings. Um, it's so easy, I think, for men, uh, certainly when I look at my own experience, to to get uh, distracted, frenetic, and 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 thinking and 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 dreaming about things that don't matter, that don't affect my my family, that don't affect the people that I work with. And this is why voluntary sufferings and, and practices are so important. Mm. And it's not to say that that's not the case for women, but I do believe within the feminine experience, it's very different. You know, I look at my, my wife is about to give birth to our fourth child uh, within the next week. Yeah, thank you. No, wow. we're thrilled. And we're kind of waiting for that call at any moment. But I look at the journey she's been on in the last nine months, and it's something that I can't relate to at all. And, and suffering is so much a part of, you know, what it means for her to be a woman, to be a mother. And um, I just think that guys need to uh, take on, you know, voluntarily sufferings. Uh, and it can be small things, cold yeah. showers, not not eating between meals, whatever it is that just reminds us that uh, ultimately we are dependent on God. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not God. And, and acts of asceticism humble us. They break us down. Um, and open us to deeper relationship with the Lord. Yeah, Jamie, we have about 30 seconds left, but I just want to ask if there's a man watching this right now and he really has a desire this Lent to shed an addiction or change an aspect of his life, what would be your one short piece of advice for him? You know, I think it's always helpful to think about who, who do we want to become? What is the kind of man that you want to be? You know, and there's no, you know, cure-all, end-all, be-all solution. And Exodus 90 or Lent with Exodus is not that, but it can be a helpful step in the right direction mm -hmm. for those that are in the throes of, uh, of great sufferings, you know. If you need more deep support, obviously look to, to counsel from a, a wise man or, um, you know, expert, you know, in your area. But Lent with Exodus can certainly be a journey into the desert with our Lord, you yeah. know, be, to become the kind of man you want to be. Yeah. Well, very inspiring the work that you do. Jamie Baxter of Exodus 90. Thanks for joining us and congrats on your new little one. We'll be praying for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Prudence. Thanks a lot. Jackie Mulligan, founder and CEO of Reform Wellness, joins us now to give us the perspective of Lent centered around a woman and her gifts. Jackie, thanks for joining me. Talk to me first about the mission of Reform Wellness and how you're encouraging women to prepare for Lent this year. Thanks for having me, Prudence. Thank you uh, for giving us this opportunity uh, to share about Reform Wellness. Uh, we are a Catholic functional medicine practice um, with a mission to help others heal physically and spiritually. 
And um, we encourage women to look at the beautiful um, imitation of Mary as a way to understand how to pursue Lent this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mary models for women what it means to receive. And I think that uh, when we enter into Lent, Uh, We think a lot about what we're going to release, and I think we forget about the gift on the other side, um, which is that we get to receive a new life. Mm, And so we encourage people to uh, mirror the virtues of of Mary um, throughout the season of Lent. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. And, you know, you're alluding to these strengths that women have, the spirit of receptivity. Talk to me a little bit more about the strengths that women have during Lent. I mean, we, we are different than males, right? So talk to me a little bit about that uniqueness that we possess. Sure. Uh, I think because um, we are uh, different in our chemical makeup uh, and and in general uh, than men, we do have an opportunity um, to embrace uh, the gift of our womanhood in a particular way. Um, Again, just going back to Mary, um, she has these beautiful virtues of humility and lively faith, obedience, continual prayer, uh, mortification, which we'll use often throughout Lent, uh, purity, charity, um, patience, Mm -hmm. sweetness, and wisdom. And I think that, um, you know, Mary was an empty vessel uh, who was eager to accept all that the Lord had for her. And so as we pursue the season of Lent, um, as women, we can look at ways that we can empty ourselves as to create more space uh, for healing uh, and and more space to become more virtuous like mm-hmm. Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And Jackie, there can certainly be a tendency to compare yourself to others during Lent. You know, am I giving up enough? Am I praying as much as the next person, et cetera? What impact does this have? Um, and how can we overcome that spirit of comparison and really focus on those virtues that you're speaking of? It's a great question, Prudence, and something that we see often uh, in our practice. Uh, One thing that we encourage people to do is to stay in your own lane uh, and and not to compare. I think that comparison uh, can often be the thief of joy. And so uh, to really stay in your own lane with the Lord, um, we all have unique um, health histories and situations in our day-to-day lives that uh, really differentiate us from other people. And so to create uh, a space where there is deep intimacy um, uh, with the Lord and so that you can uh, hear um, the ways that he wants you to go deeper, the ways that he wants you to simplify your life. Uh, and I think, again, just going back to humility, during Lent, it could be uh, really important uh, and essential to focus on doing a few things really well, mm. rather than a lot of things kind of well. Yeah. Uh, so really simplifying um, your approach. That's great. Great advice. Um, I want to talk about the men in our lives for a minute. How can we as women support the men in our lives as they make sacrifices this Lent? And how can we be more at peace with the different and unique ways that we're each called to sacrifice as we head into this season? Yeah, I think that all of us have um, this opportunity to be more Christ-like. And the truth is that we want to um, exude uh, the light of Christ uh, to all those that we encounter with. And so um, women have a beautiful opportunity um, to create space um, for men to unravel as they, uh, I think, 
you know, use their strengths in the world in, in particular ways where uh, they can, um, like Mary, uh, keep keep watch, but also create space uh, to remind men of, of who they are, uh, to point back to Christ uh, in a very beautiful way, uh, like Our Lady did. And so, again, I think looking at Our Lady uh, as she is the model of women, um, to look at her patience uh, and and uh, her continual prayer, um, that her virtue really allowed us to then strengthen the virtue of of men. Mm-hmm. And of course, Mary is the ultimate patron saint to look towards um, as women, especially as we head into Lent. Are there any other saints um, that you recommend leaning on, uh, particularly for women? You know, I lo- I, I love this. Uh, this question so much. And I think that there are so many uh, amazing, powerful saints. Um, we have two patronesses uh, at Reform that I'm going to share with you because they've been so powerful uh, for a women-led uh, uh, team. And that is St. Teresa of Avila and St. Therese of Lisieux. Mm. Great saints, great role models, perfect images of humility and receptivity. Um, Jackie, thank you so much for joining me and have a happy Lent. Uh, God bless you and thank you for your work. Thank you. God bless you. New developments on the breaking news we brought you last week on the remains of the DC-5, children who died in late-term abortions. Reports indicated that President Biden's Department of Justice advised the DC medical examiner to destroy the remains. On Friday of last week, the American Center for Law and Justice announced that legal intervention and calls for congressional action from more than 30 pro-life groups has postponed cremation of the baby's remains for the time being. The statement from the ACLJ reads, quote, the D.C. government is standing down from today's cremation. We were successful in preventing the Biden DOJ and D.C. from destroying the evidence of potential crimes and from simultaneously blocking the honoring of these young lives with the proper burial. The D.C. government also indicated to us that they will respond to Congress's demands. Pro-life groups say late-term abortionist Cesare Santangelo ended the baby's lives in illegal partial birth abortion procedures in 2022. Since then, their bodies have been held in the office of the medical examiner. This week at a press conference on Capitol Hill, we asked Congressman Chris Smith and Chip Roy about further action being taken by the House to conduct a full investigation into the deaths of these children. We've got, you know, lots of people in the body that are concerned about this issue. Our leadership, as well as the rank and file in the House, are outraged over what is happening. The cover-up is unconscionable. It's right there in black and white. We want the doctor uh, who, who killed these kids in a horrific fashion. We will continue to follow this story and bring you the very latest. As the Supreme Court prepares for oral argument in two cases regarding the chemical abortion pill Mifepristone, the governor of New Mexico says she'll do everything in her power to maintain access to the drug. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham recently signed onto an amicus brief in the Mifepristone cases alongside 21 additional pro-abortion governors, urging the Supreme Court to rule in favor of keeping these drugs on the market and available via the mail. Mifepristone is used in more than half of all abortions in the U.S. New Mexico has become a so-called abortion tourism destination. Laws there permit both chemical and surgical abortions through all nine months of pregnancy. 
And we're joined now by Representative Jennifer Jones. She serves in the State House in New Mexico. Rep Jones, thank you for being here. I understand you just finished up your legislative session and you co-sponsored a bill that would have created a New Mexico Department of Health website where pregnant women could learn about their resources and options besides abortion. But that legislation was tabled. Tell me what happened. Yes, thank you for having me. And currently, if you search the New Mexico Department of Health website, you will find there is one option for women under reproductive services, and that option is abortion. There are 34 different facilities that a woman can be referred to, including the Satanic Temple for ritual abortions. I introduced a bill that would provide women with all of the options. I didn't ask to remove abortion as an option. I just simply asked to, in an effort to make sure that women had all choices, or had more choices, mm -hmm. which they don't have now, um, wanted to include um, pregnancy centers and so forth, places where women could get support and information and include the, uh, that on the hotline as well that the the, uh, the uh, governor had instituted last year. And that was, uh, that was not... Um, it was not uh, moved forward in my committee. It it, uh, it was really uh, received a lot of uh, opposition to that from my fellow committee members on health. Mm, so that's yeah. where we're here in New Mexico. Interesting. It seems like a very common sense proposal. And tell me a little bit more about that satanic clinic you mentioned. Is that that's the Samuel Alito's mom's satanic abortion clinic? Um, talk to me a little bit about just kind of the abortion landscape and how it's possible that a place like that could exist in New Mexico? Well, like you said, uh, New Mexico has become well known for abortion tourism, and it's very much promoted here. Like I said, there are 34 options for women seeking reproductive services, which I find ironic because there's nothing reproductive about abortion. Hmm. But um, the, the, the listing, the 34 places are, for the most part, are Planned Parenthood facilities, but there is one which is TST. It is the Satanic Temple, where uh, women can receive, as I understand it, the abortion pill, and um, that is involved in part of their ritual for abortions. Mm. And Representative Jones, I want to talk a little bit about the chemical abortion issue. We know that the Supreme Court could rule that abortion drugs should be taken off the market. Obviously, chemical abortion is very accessible in New Mexico right now. You're a trained nurse. So tell me, you know, what your reaction would be if the Supreme Court took this off the market. What do you think would happen in your state? And and what's your perspective just as a, a medical professional on this? Well, as a nurse, you know, I, I was just working with my introdu introduction of S or HB 180. I was just working to make sure that my patients and our women of New Mexico have all the options. Uh, it's clear that um, our governor is in favor of the one option, abortion. I I think that the most important thing about the abortion pill is that we, we uh, would move back toward uh, prior to, I believe it was 2021, when we removed all the safety restrictions from the abortion pill. Mm -hmm. Right now, what I think is uh, is being considered in court is that they keep the status quo, which does not allow for doctor visits. It allows for the abortion pill by mail. It doesn't allow for ultrasounds, which would protect women who have ectopic pregnancies from right. very serious complications, even death. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer Jones, thank you so much for joining us and for your pro-life work in the State House in New Mexico. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.
Coming up, a super pro-life Super Bowl bet. How one maternity home might as well say they won the big game. But first... I felt like the Lord was leading me to this place. A mother empowered to raise her daughter through the help of a maternity home. Her story, next. Thank St. Clair's for, for taking me in and loving me and guiding me. A new mother whose life was transformed when she began living at a maternity home. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. St. Clair's home in Greenville, South Carolina is one house that is offering opportunity for many new mothers. We bring you the story of one of them, Honey Hathaway. Honey, you used to live here at St. Clair's home. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you found their doors and, and came to live here. I found St. Clair's home through a Google search. I was kind of homeless at the time, um, living between a tent in Greenville and staying in a house with no lights, no water. Doing a Google search, trying to find like a homeless shelter, any kind of shelter that would take me in. Um, and. At first it was showing up that it was an adoption agency and I was like, you know, I was praying about it and I said, God, I really don't want to give my baby up for adoption, but if this is, you know, your will, then, you know, I'll click on it and see. And, but when I clicked on it and I looked, um, it actually wasn't for adoption. It was actually a maternity home that, you know, empowered us to raise our own children, which was great. And I felt like the Lord was leading me to this place. Yeah. And before you came upon St. Clair's home, was there any hesitancy about whether or not you were going to keep your baby? Was that a hard decision to make? Oh no, it was never, it was never an option for me, but you know, um, I didn't know what God's plan was. And if that was part of his plan, I would have like cried, cried doing that, but yeah. it wasn't an option in my mind. Right. And this is your daughter, Izumina. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about her. She is going to be 16 months in a few days. She is so smart. She says sentences. She's sweet, kind. Mm -hmm. um, I've been raising her up in the church, so we go to church regularly, which we stay in the cry room most of the time <laughs> right now. But she really enjoys going to church because when I say it's time to go to church, she jumps up and she she's like running to the door oh, like, yeah, I love ready that. to go. I love that. Honey, tell me more about your time here at St. Clair's home and how it's different from other maternity homes or homeless shelters. Um, all the resources here really equip mothers to be able to be self-sufficient. How did that impact your life? So yeah, St. Clair's home is not like any kind of homeless shelter I really don't know anything about maternity homes, but I'm sure it's not like them either. When I came here, I expected probably, you know, having to get up early in the morning, go find a job, something like that, you know, because that's what they do in homeless shelters. Right. But here it's kind of different. We do have a lot of structure, um, but we had a lot of classes to empower us to, um, so that when we went into the real world, we would have, you know, the life skills that we needed to you know be successful out there yeah and while the St. Clair's does not you know pressure you with their religion um, they do they are there for you spiritually so you can go to like Sister Stella, Sister Teresa, even Valerie about anything and you know they're gonna give you a little bit of a spiritual guidance and I think that's really important 
in people's lives, especially when, we, when we're coming out of lives without structure. It's kind of chaotic. So, uh. Yeah, and talk to me a little more about that structure. We, we talked to Sister Teresa about the importance of it, but from the perspective of a mom living here, what was that like? It was different from what I was used to, but again, it was really needed. Um, so we wake up in the mornings. We have to, you know, clean up our room. Um, we do have certain chores um, that we're assigned each week, so those have to be done um, by Saturday. But, you know, a good steward would do them every day to keep try to keep the house clean. Sure. Um, Talk to me about the relationships with the other moms that you built. Um, how many moms were living here when, when you were here? There was quite a few moms living here. When I first came, I think that there was probably about five other mothers. Sometimes people leave here because of the structure. They can't really stick with it. So there was girls in and out of here. But finally, I think maybe I was seven, six or seven months in here. We got a good group. And then there was probably about eight of us. The whole house was full. Wow. The relationships we built were really good because we treated each other like sisters. Of course, we have arguments, stuff like that, <laughs> but, you know, we would resolve it. It was just like a really good family atmosphere, and the setting was really homey mm. and loving. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about your life now. So my life right now, um, <laughs> well, I'm a single mother, of course. I'm living in my own house now. Um it was really scary uh, moving out, yeah. being just by myself after being around, you know, so many people all the time, which was really nice. I really miss it. Mm -hmm. But it's also really nice um, being a, in a home by yourself. But, you know, I was scared at first for the first month. It was kind of scary because yeah. I was like, oh, how am I going to defend myself? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Um but um, I think I've adjusted pretty good, um, and life is pretty good now. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, honey, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We're going to bring you more stories from St. Clair's home on our next episode of Pro-Life Weekly, so be sure to tune in. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.